Welcome to the Palace Perspective. The Palace Perspective is brought to you by Palace Capital Advisors, a comprehensive wealth management firm with locations in the Northeast, specializing in financial and estate planning solutions, investment management strategies, and family office services for high net worth families across the country. Welcome to the Palace Perspective, the podcast that brings you conversations and professional analysis on the topics and trends affecting your everyday financial life. I'm your host, James Landry, and I'm glad you chose to listen in today. Today, we're going to talk about what really was in the headlines for the latter part of last week, and that's the decision by President Biden and his administration that a good portion of student debt will now be forgiven. It's gone. It's out of here. It's hasta la vista. So joining me uh, today for the second time is a special guest, Shannon Smith, CFP, who is the Director of Financial Planning for the Colon Financial Planning Team within Palace Capital Advisors, LLC. And so, Shannon, welcome back to the Palace Perspective. Thanks for having me, James. Happy to be here. And Shannon, for uh, some of our listeners who perhaps haven't heard you before, why don't you give us a little bit about your background? Certainly. A financial advisor, working with financial advising for 15 years with Joe Cullen for the last 10. And we just help families plan for their goals and what they hope to achieve in their life. Namely, retirement, and the second one after that is typically college and taking care of your kids' education. I bet it is. And I know I don't uh, know everything about you, but I do know you have a young uh, child. Um, I do. And uh, so I would assume that the topic of you know, college planning, college funding is something that's really relevant for you as, as well. Certainly. My uh, son's 20 months old, and um, it's hard to imagine that he will one day be 18 and go out going enough to college, but it, it'll be coming in the earlier you start planning for it, the better. Yeah, absolutely. And I can, you know, speak from experience that it happens just like that. And uh, each stage is exciting. And uh, I know there are a lot of parents out there that would echo that sentiment. But so uh, you just said, starting early is better. And it's really never too early to start thinking about saving for something that's coming down the road. So we will talk a little bit about the president's decision Mm -hmm. to uh, forgive debt and I know there's been, you know, all kinds of hot takes out there uh, in the um, in the press and the internet land about you know good or bad. And we're not really here to talk about good or bad on that decision, but really more sort of the facts around that decision. And then also more than that, you know, what should parents, even grandparents, be thinking about for young children, or even middle school age children, or mm-hmm. you know, high school children? College is coming, and last I checked, it's expensive. So what can they do to plan for that? So let's talk about uh, college costs to mm-hmm. begin with. You, you sit down with a lot of clients that are planning for college costs. How do you get them to think about that? Well, typically, it's really conversational. First off, you want to see what their expectations are and what they want to hopefully be contributing and what their goal is to help support their kid. And then it's all through a financial planning process mm-hmm. of time horizons, when they kid is going to school, how much they've already saved, and then determining, unfortunately, the cost of inflation of college has been really high. So the last 20 years, it's been about 6%. Wow, 6%? 6%. So what's inflation been? Normal inflation, it's not been that high. It has not. It's lower than 2%. Okay, wow. So it's significantly higher than... Why is it so high? That is a great question. I feel like we'd have to go to the colleges for that one. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, it is what it is, right? It is what and it so- is. And part of it, I do believe, have, comes from the room and board, too, especially for, like, you know, urban 
Right. City, uh, universities. Is there any difference between uh, private education costs and public education costs? I mean, I know there's a difference in price, but is there a difference in terms of how those costs have escalated over the time? I would imagine that public school education costs would not have gone up as much as private, but like you said, we don't know. We should probably check on that. But overall, you say it's about 6%. Overall, the average is oh, okay. correct. 6%. Okay. Correct. And then in terms of parents thinking about that 6%, if they're going to save money in the bank... That's earning 1% and the cost is 6%. You're never going to make that's it. That's not going to work. <laughs> not going to make it. Okay. So we talk about escalating uh, costs, about 6% uh, inflation historically. Mm -hmm. I think it may have come down a little bit more recently, but you know, over the last, I'd say, 20 years, it is about 6%. Um, so uh, when a student or a parent is thinking about you know, um, saving for college, mm -hmm bank account's not going to be sufficient. So they think about what other aid is at their disposal. So what are the broad you know, forms of financial aid that a parent or student might have um, available to them? Well, there's grants, which are usually need-based, and then you can have scholarships, which are typically merit-based. Okay, so so that's the big difference between a grant and a scholarship. A grant is something that's needs-based. So when you say needs-based, I assume you know, I have a need yeah. because of my income, uh, I think that there are grants that, you know, if your um, parents who are in the military might apply. So there's need-based grants. And then scholarship is merit-based. So could be uh, academic merit, could be athletic merit, exactly. could be something um, in the arts, mm -hmm. you know. So I have a daughter that uh, went to college. She got scholarships. She mm -hmm. got academic scholarships. She got athletic scholarships. And she also got scholarships in the fine arts area as well. That's she happened to play awesome. an instrument. She ran on the track and field team, and she was a fairly decent student. Proud, um, proud dad right there. Proud, proud dad. Can you tell? <laughs> no. Yeah, no. All right, good. So, uh, but anyway, she got scholarships, but for needs-based um, grants. So now the, the, also the difference I understand between grants and scholarships, grants, at least federal grants, are not um, taxable as income. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. Where a scholarship may necessarily be. be taxable is, is income. Okay. That's an important distinction. The biggest grant out there is the federal... Uh, it's the Pell Grant. Pell Grant. Okay. And then that's Pell the grant. one that, that if you go back to last week when President Biden announced the loan forgiveness, he said if the students also qualified or were participating in the Pell Grant program, they could get twice as much forgiveness. Instead of 10000 it went to 20000 Okay, so that makes yeah. sense. All right, so because of the financial Because it's the biggest program they have. Okay. And then the other way they can um, get financial aid is through traditional lending, borrowing, right? Yep, through traditional banks and just taking out loans like you do for your car. Okay. So are, there's private loans, and then there's... Government public Government loans. loans. Okay. And so talk a little bit about the loans. I mean, my understanding is... <clears throat> loans for for student aid generally you don't have to start making payments until you graduate that's exactly it after okay. college once you graduate is when you typically right. start to have to make the payments and underneath the federal loan program those these payments have been suspended for a while now because of covid so president biden announced mm -hmm. that they were start, supposed to start up again in september i think september one and they got delayed and a little got longer pushed back until uh, january one of 2023 Okay. Yeah, gave everyone a little bit more leeway. Yeah. So, <clears throat> but that doesn't mean a student can't pay his loan or her loan back, right? They can, but at the the um, the payment period, and I think also the interest accumulation stopped stopped or, as well for that. Paused. Time. Yeah. Paused. <clears throat> okay. So let's talk about qualifying for these grants, scholarships, mm -hmm. how much financial aid you qualify. 
what does a student and parent have to do at the beginning of every, well, October. every year, I should say? <clears throat> uh, well, it's the government, so you're filling out a lot of paperwork. It's called the uh, FAFSA form, the Free Application for Federal Student Aid. You fill this out online. Okay. You have to do it. It opens on October 1st. Some states actually look at it. It's um, based on when you apply and when they run out of money. So typically, earlier the start, you filling it out, the better. Mm. And you just put in all your personal information, your parents' information, the students' and the parents' financial assets. Retirement assets do not count as an asset. Um, the equity in your primary residence does not count either. So all this comes in and then out pops what is your expected family contribution. Yeah. And, you know, as a parent, I've actually been involved with filling mm -hmm. out a lot of these uh, FAFSA forms in over the past years. I can tell you the most frustrating thing as a parent is the student has a login information. The parent has login information. And obviously, in, in most cases, it's the parent taking care of this for the student. And so you have to know all those things. And if you forget your login or your key, I have to tell you, it is the most frustrating thing ever. The form itself is pretty straightforward, pretty simple. Mm -hmm. And um, what they will do is they'll allow you to uh, connect your tax return to the form. So it'll go out and scrape your tax return and bring all the information in. You don't have to key that in, uh, which saves a ton of time, obviously. Sure. Um, but the experience, I can tell you, is one that every parent just kind of dreads. Um, but it is necessary to qualify for um, financial aid from the university or from um, uh, federal uh, government. So exactly. It's important. Um, and uh, <clears throat> there's this, also this thing called a CSS profile. Uh, I'm actually not sure what CSS stands for. Uh, college, I'm going to guess something student. But at any rate, that, that form is, is actually required in addition to the FAFSA for just a handful, like 200 colleges across the country, just a handful. Private, the private yeah. colleges sometimes yeah. have a so they have a form addition too, so you just to be aware of that. Um, all right, so talk about, you know, qualifying for aid on that uh, FAFSA. Obviously, it asks you for income information. It also asks you for asset information. Mm -hmm. And so the more assets that you have as a parent or as a, as, a, as, a, as a student, the more that's going to reduce your ability for aid and increase your, as you said, expected family contribution. Correct. Right? Okay. So parents' assets count 5.64% on the FAFSA, FAFSA form, mm -hmm. while student assets are 20%. Oh, okay, yeah. So if you have, you know, 529s don't count as an asset. We'll get into what a 529 is later, but they don't count as an asset for college. Um, and retirement accounts, again, don't count for an asset. Okay, unless, however, it's the grandparents' 529, which is a little bit of a wrinkle here. We'll talk about that a little wrinkle. bit. So, yeah. <clears throat> so if grandparents are using 529s for um, uh, college, those withdrawals can actually um, you know, Student be, income. be included as yeah, untaxed income. Okay, so we talked about financial aid, um, the various forms of financial aid. Of course, another way you can pay for college is right out of pocket. Um, you can sell assets. What does that mean? Yeah. You sell your assets. Start like, draining down your savings. You've but, been saving for a long time, and you start selling. Sure. If I sell an asset, though, if I sell a stock or a bond, I might have a capital gain. You might have a capital gain. In the year that I'm using that asset to pay for college or the proceeds to pay for college which means it could be expensive. You get it. You get to pay college. a tax bill and pay for college. Right. That sounds like double fun. <laughs> um, I know uh, for me, uh, I remember this, uh, of course, this is going back close to 30 years now. 
my father, he had stock options, mm-hmm. right? And he told me one time, you know, he would help pay for school bills by mm-hmm. just exercising stock options, um, which would just bring in more cash mm-hmm. flow to him. But now looking back, knowing what I know, that's also an expensive way to pay for school because when you exercise an option, in many cases, we don't want to get into options today, but in many cases, that's taxable income, ordinary income to you in the year that you would exercise that option. So other ways to pay for school, just using cash that you have sitting around that you weren't looking to use or selling assets. But in any event, cash isn't going to keep up with the rate of inflation on college costs. Totally and selling right. assets can be... Um, expensive if you've got to run them through the tax mill, right? Um, Another way I know people have used or relied on for college expenses is gifts from grandparents, right? We see that a lot. Talk a little bit about gifting uh, from grandparents to pay for college versus maybe the grandparents paying the bill directly. Any thoughts around that? Both are definitely great ideas. Grandparents can pay directly to an education facility, doesn't count towards your annual gift exemption. The annual exclusion amount? Exactly. Mm -hmm. So you can pay directly, or you start saving over time and open up 529 for your grandchild. Okay. And start saving annually there. That asset won't show up on the FAFSA form, except for what is, as you said, now the income. So once you start withdrawing Mm. from a grandparent's Mm. 529, that income starts showing up on the FAFSA form. Right. Okay. All right. It'd be great if grandparents would just be willing to pay for their grandkids. But my guess is some of these grandparents had to pay for their own kids' college education, and they may be tired of it. They were already through the ringer ones. They don't necessarily want to do it again. (laughs) I get it. All right. So we talked about the college loans, just briefly touched on that. Let's talk about, you know, the the most traditional way, at least has been for many years now, to save or plan for college has been through, I'll say, 529 college funding plans, 529 just a section of the code that allows you to save on a tax-favored basis for um, college costs. So tell me, 529 College Savings Fund, how does that work? 529 College Savings Fund is similar to a retirement plan in the fact that you put in money and it grows tax-deferred that you have for college expenses. Mm-hmm. So that money is supposed to be used for college, and as long as it is used for college, any withdrawals are tax-free. Yeah, so you say college. What about grad school? Grad school counts, and actually recently um, you can also use up to $10,000 a year to pay through K-12 through education as well. Okay, and can I use it to pay off my student debt? You can. Okay, any limits on that? I don't know what the exact limit is, James. That's a great question. Yeah, there is a limit on that. I, I think if I go back and check, it's $10,000 a year. But let's go back and fact check that mm-hmm. me. Well, you, you can fact check on me when I'm talking. Sounds good. Okay. But at any rate, so, so 529 plans tax, uh, it's like a retirement account, you say? So it's just tax deferred growth? Yeah. As you were saying, you know, you could sell assets that may be outside of a 529 mm. and you're paying taxes because you have to pay a capital gains tax mm. on anything that grew. But within the 529, when you sell the asset. So what about when you take money out of the 529? Is that taxable then? It is not. Okay. It sounds like a Roth IRA. It basically, it's a Roth IRA for education. Okay. Well, that's cool. So you put money in into the 529. It's growing, potentially growing, right? Hopefully over 20 years. I looked years at or my 529s recently and they're not growing. Um, but that's the market, right? So they, they're often invested in mutual mm-hmm. fund or mutual fund type of, uh, of investments. Um, so they can grow or they can lose money. But it, it potentially grows over time. And then when you take the money out, 
you're not taxed on the earnings as long as you use it for qualified higher education expenses that you just mentioned, right? Exactly. And um, actually, also, some states also give you a tax deduction for making contributions. Oh. About 30 states do that. So if you do your state's 529 in those states, you can also get a tax deduction. Okay. So if you use the state 529 plan, like here in Massachusetts, I believe the plan is, is a fidelity plan. It is. If you use yep. the state plan, you potentially can get a state income tax deduction for your country, not a federal no, state. state. Right, and it's so, different state by state how much right. they allow. Like so clients should really check with their tax advisor and, and making sure they understand oh, the rules in, in their state for sure. So that it grows tax-free. What about, you know, life happens, right? And yes. little Johnny, yep. he grows up to be big John and he decides college isn't for him. Yeah, or uh, he ends up, um, instead of going to UPenn, he ends up in the state pen. <laughs> Oh, I haven't thought about that one. That's a pretty good one. Yeah, well, um, Unfortunately. Let's, let's just assume he decided that college wasn't for him and he wanted to go, you know, maybe into a trade or something mm-hmm. like that, and which is great because uh, you need people that are skilled there. But what about that 529 that you needed to use for college you'd been saving? What are your options there? You can change the beneficiary. Oh, okay. So you, if you, we should have mentioned this earlier, actually. James has six children. So if one of your uh, ch- children ended up not going to school, you can just transfer the asset and change the beneficiary to another child. Oh, okay. So I do have a lot of yeah. flexibility, you don't have I? A lot of, you have a lot of flexibility yeah. for sure. With great numbers of kids comes great responsibility, <laughs> or great flexibility, I should say. And responsibility. And responsibility. So you can change the, the beneficiary. And I think we should also point out that the 529 college savings fund is an asset that really is unique because I, as oftentimes as the parent who opened the account for the benefit of my child, I can change the beneficiary. I can also control, I basically control that account. So I could decide, you know what, I'm going to take the money out and not use it for college. I might have to pay income tax and a 10% penalty on the growth, mm-hmm. just like I would if I took out an IRA prematurely, exactly. right? Um, or a Roth IRA prematurely. So I might have to pay some penalty in income tax, but Mm -hmm. it's still money that's back. But from an estate planning standpoint, again, if I have a large estate, I've been using 529s, those gifts or those contributions into a 529 are completed gifts for estate planning purposes, even though I still have some modicum of control over that asset. So that really is a unique asset in the estate planning world. Certainly, as it gives you a lot of flexibility. You've been able to get assets outside of your estate that you could still have control over. Right. And, you know, thinking back to to little uh, little Johnny who grows up to Big Mm -hmm. John and and decides he wasn't going to go to college, Mm -hmm. I think maybe even the more common example is, you know, I've been saving for a 529 and Johnny is good or talented academically. Maybe he gets a scholarship for athletics Mm -hmm. and that money I was going to use for 529 isn't needed because he now has a scholarship. Mm -hmm. What I found in kind of thinking about today is that <clears throat> there is a way you can avoid the 10% penalty up to the amount of the scholarship if you don't use that 529 money up to the extent mm-hmm. of the scholarship. You still have to pay income tax on it, but you can avoid the 10% uh, excise tax penalty on the growth, which is neat. So scholarships, just because your child has a scholarship, doesn't mean the 529 was, was wasted because of the flexibility yeah. and, and some of the provisions that are allowed there. 
Okay, so there's another animal that's been around even longer than a 529, and that's what they call an education savings account. Sometimes you hear these as Coverdale accounts. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about what those things are. That is similar to a 529 in the fact funds go tax deferred. It's for education. It has much, much lower annual contribution limits and income limits. So you can only contribute about $2,000 a year to it, and they're on income thresholds for making contributions as well. Okay, so a 529, there is no income limit, right? Well, you okay. could make a million dollars a year and you can still contribute to a 529. Okay. All right. And the, and in both the, the Coverdale IRA and the 529, there are contribution limits, right? Not income limits, but contribution, how much you can put in every year. Exactly. Right. A 529, however, um, allows you to pre-fund a number of years in Five advance. Years. Five years. Yep. So um, give me an example of what that means. Yeah. So you can put $16,000 a year from your gift tax exclusion, you can give $16,000 a year to anyone you want. Mm -hmm. And a married couple can combine that. So you've got $32,000 a year you could put into the 529. Mm -hmm. But what you're referring to is a five-year lump sum gift to a 529 so you can basically front load it okay. and end up putting in one contribution of $160,000. And if you wanted to even put more, you could wait five years and start adding to it as well. Okay, so I, I could front load that for five years um, and I haven't made more than an annual exclusion gift because, mm -hmm. okay, that's that's fascinating. But not the same for Coverdale IRA. That is, yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, Coverdale right. has a much lower contribution limit and income thresholds to make that contribution. It sounds to me that in most cases the 529 would be a superior funding vehicle. Is that your opinion? Oh, the Coverdale? Is. You just Usually Coverdales aren't going to be, especially with the cost of education now, you're not going to be able to save enough in a Coverdale okay. to cover education. Okay. I see what you did there when you said Coverdale and cover education. That's oh, pretty good. Uh, try. Um, so let's talk about a third one, which is the um, you know, Uniform Transfer to Minor Act mm -hmm. or Uniform Gift to Minor UGMA UTMA accounts for minors. I mean, I have young children, you have young child, so you go and open a bank account for mm -hmm. him or her. As a custodian, it's going to be an UTMA or UGMA account, some type of custodial account for that minor. So that's another way you could another vehicle you could use to save um but there's really no tax advantage there there's right? no tax advantage it's um, your child's asset it's still taxable mm -hmm. um the interesting difference with a utma versus a 529 too though is that that is your child's asset once you put that money in you do not have control ah that. okay that money is your child's money yeah and it changes from uh, state to state of what uh -huh. age is age of majority. It could be 18 or 21, but once mm -hmm. they turn 18 or 21, that money is their money. They don't have to use it for college. They can use it for whatever they would like to do, even if it's just going to Vegas. Going to Vegas in a new car. Uh, you can, exactly. Yeah, yeah so it... Um, My kids it, don't have to worry about that. No, no. And uh, the UTMA also shows up on the FAFSA form. Oh, okay. As a as child's a, as asset? A, as a child's asset. Which so impacts... Something. Financial aid eligibility. Exactly. And what okay. an interesting way to maybe fix that if you'd already set up UTMAs and really fully funded them, mm -hmm. and then you find out as you're filling out the FAFSA that it's going to show up, you can make it a 529 UTMA. Okay. And now it's not on the FAFSA form anymore. So you can move money in UGMA or UTMA accounts into a 529. Exactly. Okay. Because really the 529 is still considered for the benefit of that child. But I imagine though... If you did that, because you just made the point that Atma or Ugma assets are the child's assets, mm -hmm. you could not change the beneficiary of that 529 right. to a different beneficiary. That is exactly true. Okay. Yeah, now that is now that yeah. is that kid's money right. for college or grad school. Okay, great. No, that makes sense. 
So let's talk about the last way mm -hmm. to fund, maybe a less traditional way to fund for college. We've talked about, so what have we talked about? We're talking about, you know, just, you know, planning on loans, borrowing, right? Mm -hmm. Financial aid through uh, grants and scholarships. We've talked about uh, 529 plans. We've talked about Coverdale education, mm -hmm. IRAs. We've talked about um, my accounts. Now there's this, the Roth IRA. And you and I mm -hmm. talked, I think, recently about Roth IRAs, I think, in the last time we got yeah. together. So dust it off a little bit for us in case there's some people that are rusty out there in terms of how the Roth IRA works, if you, yeah. if you don't mind. As we were actually kind of saying, the 529 is similar to a Roth IRA. You make contributions. You don't get any tax deduction for making contributions to a Roth IRA. But that money grows tax-deferred, and any withdrawals are tax-free. If, if you've held it for the right amount of time, if yeah, you're over 59 and a half. 59 and a half. Right, okay. Your rule. There's always the rules that you got to follow. But let's assume you follow the rules. Could a, could a Roth IRA be used for education expenses for your, for you your can. child? You can. You can take withdrawals out of a Roth IRA to okay. fund college. Okay. And so the, the thing about a Roth IRA, so uh, here I am. I'm not quite 59 and a half. Mm -hmm. I know that surprised you. I'm not quite 59 and a half. So if I tried to take money out of my Roth IRA, it wouldn't qualify as tax-free. But does that change if I just say, well, I'm going to use it for education? It changes if you use it for education. Yeah. Really? If you use it for education, it is now a qualified withdrawal. Okay, so if you use it for education, it's a qualified withdrawal. What if I take it before I'm, I've held it for five years? Is that different? That is different. Okay. Yeah, the, the five-year rule for Roth IRAs will then tax any of the growth. Okay, so but I think we pointed out before with a Roth IRA, what comes out first is always your principal, your contribution, right? And then any converted amounts mm -hmm. come out. And then, last but not least, the growth comes out. Yeah. So really, you could chew through a lot of that uh, Roth IRA before you have to worry about either income or tax-free uh, or, or penalty tax. Correct. The and, contribution is always yeah. yours. And you yeah, and, and I didn't realize it. that's news to me that, you know, if you use it for higher education expenses, that you can avoid the 10% penalty on the growth with a Roth IRA. It's fascinating. So Roth IRA and a 529 Coverdale savings or education mm -hmm. IRA and you know traditional savings through taxable accounts mm -hmm. are the main ways. There's also this vehicle called a, not a college 529 account, but they're a college 529 savings plan. Have you mm -hmm. heard of that? Where I you have. prepay college mm -hmm. at today's prices. And so if you do that, you lock in that, then the price that the college will be when your child goes to school mm -hmm. is locked in at a certain rate. And some states offer those uh, plans as well. But by far and away, the most popular plan is the 529 savings account. That's certainly what we see the most. So let's just run through, if you can, for me, the top benefits of a 529 savings fund from your vantage point, Shannon. Yeah. So the top benefits are federal income tax breaks, sometimes the state tax breaks in 30 states, um, higher contribution limits. Than, an, than, than a, an IRA. Than a Roth IRA mm -hmm. or a Coverdell account. Mm -hmm. The estate planning aspect that we talked about earlier, that mm -hmm. is a great way to get assets outside of your estate, mm -hmm. which is another reason why grandparents tend to fund them as well, mm -hmm. to try and get money out of their estate. The control and the flexibility that you have on a 529 mm. to use the asset for yourself or sure. change the beneficiary. They tend to be pretty low maintenance, simplified tax reporting, yeah, and the flexibility. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Okay. So that's, and then everyone's eligible. Anyone is eligible. I mean, the, the child, you have to have a social security number for a baby, right? You that know. is true. But an interesting way, if you don't have a social security number for your baby yet, you can make the beneficiary your spouse and then change it later. 
Oh, that's, yeah, that's, I didn't think about that. Yeah. That's a pretty good idea. So you can um, still start saving even yeah. if they don't have a social security number. So what do you generally tell when you talk to people you work with, you know, your clients, are they looking to fund 50%, 70%, 100% of college, or is it sort of each is kind of his own? That's exactly, you know, it's each their own. There is no right or wrong answer, of course. It's what you feel is appropriate and what you want to contribute. And if you want them to have skin in the game. Yeah. So it's part of the planning process and the conversation that we do with our clients of figuring out how much they want to contribute Mm -hmm. and then planning for that amount. If, for example, you do want to fund all of it and you just, you know, wherever your kid goes, you will pay for all the education costs. Mm Mm-hmm. Then you typically, we like to only fund a 529, maybe up to 80% of the cost of college because you never necessarily want to overfund it and have these assets that are in a 529 that you may end up just taking out for non-college expenses and pay the 10% penalty. But to the point of flexibility, you don't even use them and maybe you end up using it for grandkids and you can change the beneficiary. Okay. Even then. You know, Shannon, in talking to parents, grandparents, uh, friends about Mm -hmm. planning for college costs that are... Uh, either in the distant future or coming up soon, I think there's a lot of tools that they can make use of. And one of them, one of my favorites online is a website called savingforcollege.com. We're not, you know, part of that website, no connection to it whatsoever, but it's just, it's a, uh, it seems to be free website. In addition to all kinds of calculators on there, a lot of really good, helpful information about, you know, applying for grants and scholarships understanding and how to fill out the FAFSA form. It's an excellent website yeah. with a lot of tools and it really right. helps. I always send clients to check out that website for but, sure when they're starting to really plan. Yep. Yeah. And, and also um, actually fantastic information about each state's 529 plan. Uh, so if you live in Virginia and you want to know about the, you know, American funds, uh, 529 fi- plan there, or you live in Massachusetts, like we said here, you want to learn about their 529 plan, it's all there. Um, they have a great and, comparison tool as well. And a good comparison tool. So again, you know, obviously it's free, so everything is free. You want to just be careful that it is free and you have to make sure you feel comfortable about the information there. But from my vantage point, it looks pretty good and helpful. And then what would be some things that you would tell people to look to? Maybe, maybe it's give you a call. Definitely speak with your financial advisor. Right. Okay. Yeah. That, that's obviously smart. The earlier the better, as we earlier, said. Earlier, better. Yeah. It's sometimes it's hard to make um, something out of nothing. Like if a, if a parent waits until uh, that the student is age eighteen, then calls you and says, "How do I save for college?" It might be a little late. Unfortunately, that ship has sailed. Yeah. Okay. So the earlier the better, as you say. So, well, let's just talk briefly, if we can, here about what did happen last week. So tell us. Shannon, by the way, I know this is in our newsletter that's being published, uh, well, this past weekend, so there's a lot of detail there, but give us a real quick uh, recap of what what went down. Yeah. So on August 24th, Biden announced a plan to forgive some portion of student loan debt, Mm. as you said earlier. The portion would be $10,000. And it is um, based on income thresholds. So if you make less than $125,000, you could have up to $10,000 forgiven. And as we mentioned before, too, the Pell Grant, if you are a Pell Grant recipient, then you can um, potentially erase $20,000. Oh, okay. And, so, and if you're married, it's it's not one twenty-five. It, it's two fifty. Yes. So it's income yeah. of one twenty-five okay. single, two fifty yeah. if you're married. Okay, great. And then, so when you say forgiven, I mean just like student has to do anything, it's gone, right? Gone. Okay. Yeah, that that's quite remarkable. And I know there's all kinds of debate out there as to whether or not the president actually has the ability to do this. Yeah, there is. But in effect, it's done. And we'll see. We'll assume, I assume it's going to stand. What else did he do? 
one of the interesting aspects he did say also as well that the forgiveness, typically forgiveness, can end up counting as income. Uh, so you'd have to report it as income. Forgiveness of indebtedness. Yeah. Exactly. Federally, he said it does not count as income, and but the states, it's still up in the air. So that okay. is something to keep in mind. Uh, depending on the state, you might have to claim this okay. forgiveness as income. Okay, okay great. All right. Very good. And then also, as we mentioned, that if you do have student loans, your requirement to pay on those loans was suspended because of COVID. Mm-hmm. And that suspension has been extended until January 1 of 2023. All right. So exactly. there's still some breathing room. And the third point of his plan, which I think, you know, in my opinion, is a little more vague. He said that if I just read this here, protect future students and taxpayers by reducing the cost of college and holding schools accountable when they hike up prices. I, I don't know what that means, holding a school accountable. And how they're um, going to do it. And how they're going to do that. It may just have been talk, but, you know, that was the third kind of leg of, of that, you know, stool. So, I mean, really fascinating to see that happen last week. And as I said, a lot of talk out there. But I think most people believe that it's going to stand the test of time. Mm-hmm. And if you had a total school debt of $20,000 and you were a Pell Grant recipient, congratulations. Congratulations. You no longer have any student debt. Now, if you had student debt, and by the way, the statistics that I read out there is that most people that have student debt, it's between, well, if they went to grad school, it can be upwards to $75,000 to $100,000 per student, but it's it's generally around $25,000 to $50,000. So most people that have student debt will still have student debt Mm -hmm. remaining after this. So all the ways we talked about planning for college, still really important. But also, if we read the newsletter, if, we, if folks will read the newsletter, there's some thoughts about paying down that student debt, some some ways to strategize around that. So I'll leave that Certainly. to our listeners to read through that because of time. But really just a fascinating to watch that happen uh, last week and it was be a fascinating big, to see how it unfolds. It was a big event. Forward. Because I think sure. there's not a lot of specifics of how it's going to happen, mm-hmm. right? Um, but they not say yet. stay tuned, right? Um, certainly, I would expect by the end of the year, we would have some details from the administration mm-hmm. as to how that's going to work. Certainly. And they um, didn't even clarify either, talking about like meaning clarification, if it's grad school or undergrad debt, mm-hmm. it's just student loan debt. Right, right, right. So no distinction there, at least that, that we yeah, know that, of. that right. has been said yet. Right, right. Okay, well, thank you, Shannon. This is going to do it for this round. And, and listeners can read more, as I said, about this topic on the Palace Cap. Advisors uh, August Financial Planning Newsletter, which can be found on our website, palacecapitaladvisors.com. That's P-A-L-L-A-S capitaladvisors.com. Shannon, thank you so much for sharing some more of your insights with us today. Thanks again for having me. It's always a pleasure. I look forward to having you back soon. And listener, as always, if you would like to discuss your personal financial planning, reach out to us through our website, palacecapitaladvisors.com. Of course, everything on the Palace Perspectives podcast is general in nature and should not be construed as personal advice that's unique to your situation. But we would be delighted to discuss how this important topic could potentially impact you and your financial objectives. To all of our listeners, we wish you the very best. We look forward to connecting you again soon, the next time on the Palace Perspectives podcast. Palace Capital Advisors, LLC, and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You should consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances. These materials are provided for general informational and educational purposes based on publicly available information from sources believed to be reliable. PCA cannot assure the accuracy or completeness of these materials. The information in these materials may change at any time and without notice. The information contained herein is for informational purposes only, is not personalized investment advice, and should not be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell any particular security, sector, or strategy to any individual person or entity. 
Investment advice is offered through Palace Capital Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor.